chapter 6, verse 10 in uh, New Living. It just says this. It says, a final word, um, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And verse 11 says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Uh, For we are uh, not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people. It says, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So he says, therefore, since you are in a battle, he says, put on every piece of God's armor. Very key word there is the every. So you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be still, or you will still be standing firm. And then it says, stand your ground. And we looked at that that first time, saying after you've done everything to stand, keep standing. Uh, It says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So as we looked at the last, uh, last week, we started looking at just one piece, which was the belt of truth. And uh, and we just realized that Paul said, from now on, uh, live like this. He wasn't saying, hey, you know, I just want to help you guys out with your fashion sense. You know, you, these shirts and tie stuff, forget that. You guys should be wearing belts and body armor. That's, uh, it, that had nothing to do with what he's talking about. He's saying this is not real physical armor because you're not in a physical battle. You feel it in the physical. You feel it in, uh, in the physical realm, but, it, you know, you... you, you um, you live through it in your relationships. You feel it in your body sometimes. It's like the gut feelings, depression, all that kind of stuff. You feel it in the physical, but it's not, it's not a physical battle. It's something spiritual. So um, just being aware of that, have the right type of armor for the right type of battle. Then we talked last week about truth and how the battlefield's between your ears. What are you thinking about? You need something in your life, something. And it's the belt of truth that says, okay, wait a second. That thought, yeah, that's true. But no, that one's not, you know, and, and walking off. As things, as you, even as you're just the thoughts you think about on your own, you think they're your own thoughts. It's realizing that the devil will lie to you, people will lie to you, friends will lie to you, and you will lie to you. So, and all of that, you need somewhere inside something that says, "Hey, yes, that's true," and and no, that's not. And once you have truth, he just says, "Stand on it," because uh, in the battle, he says, "Just simply stand on what's true." In the end, you'll be standing firm. So we looked at that last week. I encourage if you didn't get a chance, if you weren't here last weekend. That's one I would say be worth checking out online uh, maybe a couple times. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, he, he said this, Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of, of uh, uh, righteousness, uh, or the, the breastplate of righteousness it talks about in a different one. Um, if you see, there's a picture of a breastplate here, something that we don't usually, no, nobody's wearing one tonight that I can see. So uh, it's not something we're like real familiar with. But um, this idea of saying, he says, have on, in the New King James, the words, that, he wrote, that Paul wrote, he actually used all different words when he talked about wearing this stuff. Last week he says it's, it was put on, gird yourself. Like actually have this idea of putting it on. This one, the, the words he used were like, have this on, is the idea of sinking into clothing. Um, so you're swimming in it. It's like you're wearing your dad's t-shirt when you're three. You know, it's like you're swimming in, swimming in the clothes. It's all encompassing and surrounding you. But it says it's still the same idea. You've got to put it on. You've got to put on this breastplate of righteousness. And we know it's not a real breastplate. We know it's not one of those. So what are we actually putting on? And we knew that Paul said, from now on, live like this. From now on. It's not, it's not clothes that you, uh, you know, put on and you take off. You know, um, um, at, you know, at night before you go to bed, it's like, okay, and in the morning, yep, I'm putting on my shirt, so I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We've, we've talked about that, how people pray that. It's not doing anything. Paul's saying there's something that it's, it's in your mind, 
and it's in your mouth, and he says, keep this thing on. Keep righteousness on all the time. It's like the, it's like the L.A. Kings. Uh, if you're a hockey fan uh, and you cheer for a good team, it's the L.A. Kings, and uh, they had their playoff beards. They uh, start growing their beards once they make it to the playoffs, and they don't shave, and they look like a bunch of ragamuffins by the time uh, they, you know, they get to the cup, but it's like they're not taking that off until they win the final prize, uh, and that's the same kind of thought he's saying to us. Keep this armor on. Keep this idea of righteousness on until you've won every battle, and if you think there's a battle coming or you're still alive on the planet, you need this on. So there's two words that we don't use very often. One's breastplate and one's righteousness. How many of you use the word righteous in your conversations this week? Nobody. It's just not one of the, how many of you use the word breastplate this week? No. So here Paul's like, here, here you go. Here's like, we're the breastplate of righteousness. And you're like, okay, that's cool. Let's move on. But he's, you know, we don't understand what he's saying and, and we want to. I mean, the only time, you know, we use the word righteous is when we're talking about the righteous brothers. Anybody know who those guys are? Remember them? They sing songs like what? You know, you've lost that. Yeah, you know the Righteous Brothers. The Unchained Melody. They sing, um, sing a bunch of those cool tunes. You hear them on cruise ships and stuff. But they're, they're, they're long, not famous anymore. But the, uh, the, the Righteous Brothers, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the only times that I hear the word righteous anywhere other than out of the Bible. But the word righteous, anybody, anybody want to take a stab at what it means? To be right with, it's, it's close. What else? No? He's, he's on the right track. It's actually, it means the right track. It means the right way. It means acceptable. It means blameless. Think about these words for a second. Remember them, because they're going to be real important in a second. They mean on the right track, blameless, um, uh, good with God, is uh, this, the, with the idea of this, um, this word uh, righteous. It's like when two friends are fighting, you know, they're BFFs, and then they fight, and then they you know, they, they talk to each other again after, you know, they both wore the same dress to the same party and they hate each other. And, and then uh, they, they talk and then, you know, afterwards you ask them, you know, are you guys, are you, are you good? Yeah, 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 we're good with each other. We're good. That's the same idea as that, this thing of reconciling two, um, two people, but the same idea of you and God. Are you good with God? When I ask you this question tonight, what, what comes to your mind if I ask you this question? Are you righteous today? Are you blameless today? Blameless, really. They don't know now. They're like, that kid just raised his hand for everything back there. Um, uh, are you, are, what comes to mind when, I, when you hear the thoughts, are you righteous? Are you blameless? Maybe today you start thinking about all the bad things you just did this week. Maybe you don't even have to go this week. Maybe you're just like today. You know, I'm just thinking, oh, no, I guess I'm not blameless because I did that. You know, uh, I ran over a cat and, uh, you know, it was already dead, but just, you know, just in case. Or, you know, whatever, whatever your thoughts. You know, I was like, I swore I was mean to someone. I thought mean thoughts. Whatever it is, this, this thought, um, if I say, are you blameless today, does, is that what comes to your mind? Um, you know, one of my, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible I found when I was in Bible school, it's Psalm 37, verse 37. It says this, Mark the blameless man. Um, so I, I know that I am, but I don't know about the rest of you, right? Like, so, uh, but, but this, this thought of, you know, am I blameless? Am I righteous? It's just something to think about. And a lot of times when you ask that, that idea, are you good with God? If you ask people who, um, you know, are not familiar with church, they start thinking about this thing of, you know, maybe if I, they start thinking about the scale. Do I have more good deeds on my scale than bad ones? Do I have enough good stuff that I've done? Am I a good enough person? Um, most religions have this list of the good deeds and the bad deeds, right? We have one too. It's called the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's this, this list of things 
of, you know, what to do, what not to do, thou shalt not. You know, the Bible talks about the Ten Commandments as, as if it was pictured, as if it was um, printed on glass. And, and I told you, hey, just, you know, go break just one. And as you do that, you realize, oh, the whole thing breaks. The whole window breaks. You can't break just one. If you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. So the idea of like, ah, I'm a pretty good person, it doesn't really hold up uh, for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not even one person who's, who's considered righteous. And you start thinking about that. Like, there's not one person who's blameless. There's not one person who's righteous. And you're like, oh, that's not a happy thought. But Paul has just told the believers, saying, hey, you need righteousness as armor. Well, if none of us have it, then what's he actually talking about? Because he's not talking about being good on our own. And then as I was reading this week through my devotions, I came across Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 28. I thought, I can't explain it any better than this. I want to encourage you just to listen really, really closely to what uh, God, I believe, is saying to you through this. He says in verse 21, but now, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. That's that word, righteous. God's shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. If I were to ask you today, how many of you have broken, broken uh, the law? You've sinned at least once in your life. Oh, man, some people won't raise their hands for anything. I know, I know. I, that's all of us. He says this. It's not about keeping the law. He says, I've, I, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right. We are made righteous with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How simple is that? And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. So who is it for? Everyone. Everyone who believes, no matter who you are. It says, for everyone has sinned, in case you had any doubt. It says, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that you are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. How does righteousness happen? It says, when people believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to show or to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right. We are righteous with God through faith and not by obeying any law. When you read through this, as I read through it, it just gives an incredible amount of hope to one group of people. Do you know who those are? Sinners, yes, but not all of them. Certain group, yeah, you in the back. There's, it does give a group, it, the hope is to everyone, but there's, it's specific to one. Says the, who said believe? You're right. The ones who believe, the hope is available to everyone, but he says the righteousness, those who are made righteous are the ones who actually believe. There's this thing of saying, this believing that leads to righteousness, not acting. I want you to just remember that and as we go through, because when Paul's saying, hey, have righteousness, it involves something from us. How do you put on righteousness? He says, it's this idea of believing. It's the idea of believing that Jesus actually died for me, that I don't have to do anything um, 
in and to earn it. It's something that he's done. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he wrote to the Corinthian church as well, and he said this to them. He said, for God made him, which is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. He made him sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Saying this whole word of righteousness, this idea of good with God, he's given it to us as a gift. So if you're taking some notes, here's one. Righteousness is not earned. It's a gift. To the Greeks, back when he was writing this, the Greeks thought righteousness was a virtue. It was this thing um, of ethics. You know, you could be more, uh, more virtuous, more righteous than, say, the next guy. Uh, it was something you could grow in. So when he's writing to the Ephesians, they would have kind of had that thought uh, potentially there uh, that they could become more righteous based on their actions. And a lot of us, you know, be, being around church, you get that same thought. You know, if you're, just, if you're in church on Saturday night, oh, you're more righteous than those Sunday mornings. They're just there because they have to be. You know, that, there's those, those thoughts. Yeah, I, well, I went Saturday and Sunday. I must be like, yeah, I, it's something. But to the Hebrews, they, uh, they, they saw righteousness as a, as a legal concept. It was uh, not based on performance. It wasn't based on actions. It was based on what Jesus did for them. And it held like this, these legal rights that made them someone who they, were, who they once were not. And, you know, the, the, I think Paul is saying this, that the armor, it's all linked together. If you don't understand the truth, which we talked about last week, truth, so important to have. If you don't understand the truth about what righteousness really is and who you are, it will affect the way you live. It will affect your every day. Here's how. He says, sink, um, he says, sink into, be fully engulfed in who you are, in righteousness, knowing who you are, that you are righteous um, in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, there's so many believers who still try and earn God's favor. They still try and earn righteousness. They, they still, it's still this thing that they're trying to do on their own. They know that God loves them. They just don't think that God likes them very much. When they think of God, they think, he's probably angry at me today. That's why I'm here. I'm trying to, you know, put something on the other side of the scale. I want, you know, God to love me again. Uh, and so they get this idea that God, he's, he's an angry God. Uh, and they even paint pictures. Somebody spent a lot of time, you know, obviously picturing in their head what angry God looks like and then putting it there so the rest of us could know. But they get so focused on this idea that God's pointing out your sin. And they think that God is convicting. God, all God wants to do for you as a follower of Jesus Christ is convict you of every sin that you've ever committed. And especially the ones you did today. And it's that idea of he's pointing at, at us, you know, you better deal with that sin or you're not righteous. We're not good. You don't deal with that stuff you're doing, in, you know, you know uh, on Saturday mornings. We're not good on Saturday nights. And there's this thought that God might be thinking that, and maybe that's your thoughts tonight. John chapter 16, verse 7 to 11. I love it because, you know, people think, hey, Mark, it says it's in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is actually convicting us of sin. Well, just read it. It says, but in fact, it's best for you. Jesus is saying this to his, his followers. He's saying it's better and best actually for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate or Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I'm going to send him to you. And it says this, verse 8, and when Holy Spirit comes, so he's talking about Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. So you look at that and you think, yeah, Holy Spirit, that's his, that's his mission on the planet is to convict, you know, convict us of our sin and of righteousness and judgment. But he says this in verse 9. It says, the world's sin. What's Holy Spirit's job when it comes to the world? He's saying the world's sin is that they what? Refuse to believe. They refuse to believe in me. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit's biggest job for you is to say, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe this story that happened 2,000 years ago is so true 
that it can actually change your life. His, his mission, and it's, it's, so, it's so important to realize this, his mission is not, not that he's, he's um, pointing out the, the sin of the world and all of their sins and trying to clean them up and saying, hey, you know what, stop doing those kind of things. You know, uh, stop drinking, stop, you know, sleeping with whoever, stop doing all that kind of stuff. You know, that's, that's all sin. Holy Spirit's not even doing that. The only sin he's trying to convict people who don't know him of is that one, that they refuse to believe in him. He's pointing that one out, saying, hey, Jesus is, is the one you need to believe in. So I, my thoughts for us tonight are this. If Holy Spirit's not trying to convict the world of all the sins, it's not our job to do it either. See, it'll affect your life the way you think about righteousness. will affect how you share the good news with other people. It'll either be good news or it'll be, you know, uh, bad news to them. The Bible just says this word con- convict. It's also the word convince. So he says in verse 9, he's going to convict the world, people who, don't, people who don't know Jesus Christ, unbelievers. He's convicting them of sin. But he says this um, in verse, sorry, 10, I would guess. It says righteousness. This is what he's saying when he's convincing of righteousness. He says that what he's trying to convince people of is that righteousness is available. This being good with God, it's available because he goes to the Father. He didn't tell them at that point that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to give his life. We know it after the fact. He said I'm, um, that righteousness, being good with God, is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. And the last verse, it says the judgment will come because the ruler of this, um, this world has already been judged. So when he's talking about it, there's only one spot where he's talking about the world and convicting of sin. But I believe that Holy Spirit, what he's trying to do is tell us the truth, convince us of the fact that you are righteous. You know that for a believer, he's just trying to convince you of this truth that you are already righteous. And he's saying, you got to put that on. You need that armor in your life. In the Old Testament, it wasn't like this. Back in the day, the, the routine was this. You sin. And then you feel bad for it, so you kill a sheep. I know, some for you, they're like, what? I know, some of you are like, what? I, that, that sounds odd. It, it was kind of odd, but God at the beginning had said that, you know, there has to be payment for sin. There cannot be this, um, this sin in the equation, and so something has to die. It's either you or a sheep, and everybody's like, the sheep. Take the sheep. You know, I want to live. So they would sin, and they would kill a sheep, and then they would repeat. Kill, sin, kill a lamb repeat, you know, sin, kill a lamb, and God would forgive their sins every time because a lamb was dying every time. Then when he sent Jesus in the New Testament to die, he sent him so that once and for all, uh, Jesus would die for the sins of the world. That it's not like uh, that, that idea of we're going to have to pay for them every single time. But you know what it looks like for so many believers in church today? It's this idea of we sin, and the enemy, remember we talked about, you know, the tempt, lie, condemn? He pours on the guilt and condemnation with things like, you mess up, and all of a sudden, you're this terrible, rotten person. You're not good with God. You're not in the family anymore. You're not righteous. You've got a whole lot of work to do. And so we're like, you're right. i got a whole lot of work to do. Oh, God, I promise. Please forgive me. I will not do that ever again. Ever promised him that? No? Shoot, I have lots of times. Oh, God, I'm never going to do that again. And then what happens? You do it again. And you're like, oh, man, I can't even live up to my own standard, you know, let alone God's. And then you sin again, and you're like, oh, God, I, you know, I just, I, tomorrow's Sunday. i got to repent, 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 because I don't want to go in there and have him strike me dead with his angry finger. And so you, like, you, you go through this, right, and you feel horrible. And Satan's just having a heyday, just chuckling, like, <laughs> got him again. Why? They don't got their armor on. They do not know who they are. They keep thinking that every time they sin, 
that God's, you know, kicking them out of the family. It, it's, it's, that doesn't happen in our families, not that I know of. You know, like Watson girls, if you guys, like, you know, cheat on a test, does dad say, listen, that's it, Alexa, you're not a Watson anymore until you get your act together? Oh, he does. Sorry, we need another illustration. Um, good parents don't do that to their... <laughs> they don't do that to their children, right? We don't do that. We, if we think about this, we realize that that's not how it goes in life. And God's saying the same idea. Holy Spirit, I believe that for you tonight. He wants to convince you. He's not kicking you out of the family every single time that you mess up. That's why Jesus came. He's saying you need to armor on and know who you are. If you don't know who you are, the enemy's going to take you out every single time that he is successful in tempting you, lying to you, and then he's going to con- condemn you, and he's going to pretend that it's Holy Spirit. He's going to make it like, look, that, oh, it's Holy Spirit who's convicting you of all this stuff. Do you know what? He says the enemy's already been judged. That sin has been judged uh, once and for all on the cross. He's not going to judge you for that. He says the world's only judged for not believing in Jesus Christ. The enemy, you know, you know what he's going to try and do? He's going to get you to try and become righteous. That's why I said righteousness is not something you can earn. It's a gift because the enemy's lie is that you can become more righteous. You can be a better Christian. You can, you know, you can live more, and God's going to like you more uh, when you're living better. It's dangerous because if you're focused so much on just trying to make yourself better, you'll do absolutely nothing for the kingdom. Because you'll be, you'll have thoughts like this. Yeah, I would share the good news. I'd invite my neighbor to church once I deal with this addiction. You know, I, uh, you know, God, I, I can't do my Bible study today. I just feel so guilty. And you'll push yourself away from him. Why? It's simply because you're believing a lie that he's angry at you. You'll look down and judge other people around you who don't have it as good and good together as you, as you do. It's so toxic. It's so dangerous, and yet it's so prevalent in North American church. This, under, this misunderstanding of, of the fact that we are righteous. And Paul's saying to them back then and today, armor on. Get your armor on understand the truth of what righteousness is. Righteousness is who you are. So we said righteousness is not earned. It's a gift. And the last thought is this. Righteousness, it's who you are. Sink yourself fully into that. This is who I am. You know the first responders? They get this. Anybody, I mean, last week on Sunday, we had somebody collapse in the back. Uh, they, they passed out um, and all of a sudden, that whole section there disappeared into the foyer, and I knew something was wrong. Uh, and I went back there, and sure enough, Kyle Janiszewski and a few others were, were there. They just, right away, they're like, you know, start trying to help and saying, hey, what can we do? And he, he's, um, he's trained, certified in that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, he's not sitting there going, yeah, it's Sunday. I'm not working today, you know. Uh, that guy can just hope he makes it, right? They don't do that. They're like the first ones back there to say, I, I got to do something to help. We saw 9-11. We know that over 400 um, first responders um, and, and hundreds of them were, um, were injured, but over 400 of them died as they ran into that building. Why? Because it's who they were. They didn't think twice about whether that, those buildings were going to come down. They were running in there to, um, to save lives. My brother-in-law, he's a volunteer firefighter. His name's Jamie Shear. He's the pastor of um, Selkirk Christian Chapel. He has great stories about me, so I'm going to tell one about him. He's, um, he's a, a volunteer firefighter as well, and he, one day as he was driving down uh, Region Road 55, he saw a fire on the side of the road. The grass was all on fire. He didn't even stop to think about the fact, you know, how did that grass get on fire? Normally, he's the one who starts fires. He can't 
you know, control and has to call in all the other guys. But he saw this fire, and he, he figured, hey, it's called, and he jumps out, and he starts trying to stomp out the fire with his boots. And he's dancing around in there, jumping, uh, trying to stop fires by the, when, the, when the fire department shows up. And they show up, and they realize that the reason there's fire is because the power lines are down, and they're live, and they're starting everything on fire, and he's jumping around. They get the bullhorn, like, you idiot, what are you doing in there? Get out of there! And he comes out, and they're like, wait, it's Jamie. This is the guy we, like, fight fires. What are you doing? What were you thinking? He can't help himself. That's who he is. He's not, like, going to drive down the road and go, oh, there's a fire. I'm just keep going. It's like, there's a fire. I'm going to go put it out. That's why. Because it's who he is. It's that same, same thought for, for, for us with righteousness is that we get to that same spot and like, that's who I am. I know that this is not something that's outside of me. It is just who I am. When the attack comes, you're dirty. Nah, I'm not. I know who I am. You're rotten. You screwed up. Yep, but Jesus has made me righteous. And I'm so thankful. God, thank you again. It's that quick response and quick return to God. You know, it's Psalm 37, verse 37. I realize that that verse is true. Mark is the blameless man, not because of me, because of him. But it's true for every one of you because he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, if you're in Christ, let me back that up. It's not true for everyone here. It's true for those of you who said, yes, I'm not going to be master of my own life. I'm going to follow him uh, and give my life to Christ. He says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The old stuff, it's taken care of. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, you know what? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are righteous. You, it's who you are. Just wear it. Wear it with pride because it's who you are interesting thought is this. Who you are determines what you desire. If you're going to write anything, tweet anything, put this down. Who you are determines what you desire. I watched a DVD this week, and if you want to have those moments where it's like, where it's like God gives you something right for the right time in your life, it's this. Um, for me, uh, there's, uh, for those of you who do the precept Bible study, they've been studying the book of John. And in the book of John, um, uh, there's a spot where Brother Wayne, if you haven't seen Brother Wayne, you are missing out. He's a great guy. But he, um, he shares this thing. And he, as, as he's sharing about um, this, this chapter of John, he talks about this fairy tale, or not fairy tale, nursery rhyme. At the end of this, at the end of this um, uh, study, he just said there was this nursery rhyme. Um, you may have heard it when you were kids. Like, pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the queen. Pussycat, pussycat, what'd you do there? He's like, uh, I scared a mouse under the chair. And he says, you know what? That cat that says at the beginning was going to London to visit the queen. But he says when he got there, he didn't even notice the queen. Why? Because he saw the mouse under the chair. So the, it, it was saying just that thought of why did he go after the mouse? Because he's a cat. The cat doesn't really want to see the queen. The cat wants the mouse. And as I thought about it, uh, um, it, it was this, this thought that says who you are determines what you desire. So we, and the, the challenge for me was what do I desire about God? Do I desire the relationship with him do, or do I desire just what he can do for me? What do I really desire? Do I desire to know him more or do I desire to get as, you know, as close to sin as possible without getting caught? What do I really desire? Because it says something about who I am. And some people would take that and go, okay, you know what? Ugh, if I think about what I really desire, what I'm always going after, if I think about that and it tells me who I am, I'm going to try and change what I desire. I'm going to try and stop doing certain things. I'm going to be, you know, modify my behavior. And the, the, the key thing is this, is don't get messed up in that. Because all that Paul is saying is just know who you are. When you get a hold of this understanding of, I am righteous, it will change the desires that you have. 
you'll want different things because you know who you are. You'll experience different things because you know who you are. He says, armor on. The last thought is righteousness means you're fighting from a position of victory. In this battle, you're not fighting for victory. You're not fighting to get to victory. You already have it. You already won it. Um, last week, Sunday, I was watching Mexico versus the Netherlands in the, uh, in the World Cup of Soccer. Thanks to this, guys, for cheering for Mexico. You just about gave me a heart attack. But uh, I'm watching after the, afterwards, and man, it was a nail-biter the first time I watched it. You know, it's like in the 88th minute. There's only two minutes left in regulation. They finally score the tying goal, and then they win it. It was like, oh, man. But you know what? It was such a good game, I decided to watch the second half again. And the second time I watched it, it wasn't any nail-biting at all. You know, I was like, I already know how this ends. This is so sweet. You know, it's like uh, the first time I was like, but the second time, no, it's fine. Why? Because I knew how it was going to end. And you're like, what? You watched the game. You already knew the end. How lame is that? It's great because it gave me an illustration. The idea is this, that you can know, righteousness tells you that you can know how your story ends. There's a great little quote that says, the next time the devil tries to remind you about your past, remind him of his future. You already know how it ends. If you read the, through the, the book of Revelation, he loses. You win. You get heaven, and he gets eternity in, in hell. It's the same, the same idea of knowing the end of your story. It's the same with winning over addictions. If you struggle with addictions, this is, um, this is so key to that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, uh, it says this. And just please give me a couple of minutes here. Uh, it says this, so Christ is truly set. And I change this because I just put me in there. Christ has truly set me free. It says, now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in bondage. Do you realize that this is what he's saying? This, this truth became armor for me. This truth became armor in my life where I realized I'm already, I've already won. I thought the addiction was winning in my life, but, but it wasn't. I, I, at this point is when armor, when truth came into my life and made a massive difference in me. Why? Because it was no longer me trying to get free, trying to beat that addiction, trying to, trying to win. It came to the place of simply knowing that I'm righteous in him. Just live in it. Live in the freedom that he gave you. Uh, I shared this way back when I want to share with you today in case you didn't hear it. But the enemy wants you to think of your life like Alcatraz. Uh, If you're familiar with Alcatraz Island, they no longer keep criminals there. But criminals tried to escape from Alcatraz Island. They had, just leave that picture up there um, for for the time. For any, the enemy would love for you to think this that if you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with a, with a sin that's kind of become um, a habit for you, he wants you to think that you're in a place like this. That, you know, you're, you're, you're in a cell handcuffed. And if you're getting out of this thing, if you're going to beat this thing, you got to, you know, you got to pick the handcuffs. You got to pick the lock of your cell. You got to avoid the guards. You got to climb over the barbed wire fences all the way around. Avoid the electric fences after the barbed wire. Slide down the rocky cliff, uh, you know, on the far side. Survive the cold and current while swimming uh, one and a quarter miles across the San Francisco Bay until you finally have figured out how to get your way to freedom. That's what the enemy would love for you to say. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Paul says, armor on. You're already righteous. I've already set you free. Just live in it. You know, for some people, it's like, okay, I believe Jesus took off my handcuffs, but I got to do the rest. He's like, no. He took off the handcuffs. He's carried you out of that prison cell. He's left all those guards behind. He's carried you across. He set you on the beach. You're dry. You're not exhausted. Just stand just armor on. Know that you're going to be tempted again. Just armor on. Know who you are. It will change your desire. Freedom happens in ways like this. Righteousness is this. 
that we realize that it's a gift from him because if we could do it on our own, Jesus didn't have to die. The fact that Jesus died tells me that none of you, none of, I can't do it on my own. Righteousness receives forgiveness and salvation and then walks with and listens to and is filled with Holy Spirit and lives a life of obedience to a brand new master. Paul wrote this to all the believers that we are slaves whether we realize it or not. Every one of you here today is a slave. Just does, you, you kind of decide who that's going to be too. Whether it's a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. A slave to being right with God. This idea of, of um, allowing ourselves to live that, that out. I want to leave you with this thought because I don't, know, I don't know everyone here well enough. I don't know whether you've got that understanding or, or maybe you just kind of hang out in church. You just check it out. You've got nothing else to do on Saturday nights. I don't know. But what I want to tell you today is that, you know, maybe you're living a life of, of um, being a slave to something, slave to sin, slave to addiction, a slave, a, a, a slave to, um, to being your own master, so you think. But that can change today. You can change masters today. You know, Paul said this. And, and my question for you, I guess, goes right back to the one at the beginning. Are, are you good with God? If you, your life ended today on this planet, and we never know how long we have. You know, I did the funeral for that 29-year-old guy. No idea. His friends, shocked. We don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if that's me or if that's you tonight. So my question for you is, are, are you good with God? Do you know? Do you know that you know? simple thing is that you can, and it's this. Paul said it, and we just finished it with this tonight. Believe that Jesus is God. Do I believe that Jesus is God? Ask these questions. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Really believe that. Really know that. Do you confess him as the master of your life? Or are you still trying to call all the shots? It's as simple as being able to answer those questions. He said, come to me, I'll give you life. By believing that he's God, by confessing that he's Lord and master of your life by receiving forgiveness, receiving righteousness, you will and can be made righteous tonight, made right with God. You think, well, I don't understand it all. You don't have to. Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truths because that's what he does. But my challenge to you tonight is to, you're not here by accident, to think about those thoughts because it's a gift. It's such a gift that's already been paid for, but he says, you got to receive it. Tonight, I want to give you the, uh, the opportunity to do that. Um, if you're... If that's you tonight, you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I'm good with God. We never do this here, but I'm going to do this because I don't know. If you can, just bow your heads. Just out of respect for those around. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I don't know that I'm good with God, but I want to know. I believe what you said. If my heart's pounding, I know that God's talking to me tonight. This is, this is me. I, I don't know if I'm right with God, but I, but I want to know. I, I, all that we're going to do, I just want to pray with you. I'll, I'll come find you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to give you the opportunity to let me know that, yeah, that, that's me. Please pray with me. Uh, if that's you, just raise your hand. Yep. Yep. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you that it's alive. It's powerful. Thank you that it changes our lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving your life on the cross for me. I know that I couldn't do it. I could not live the right way on my own. Jesus, tonight I pray over every person here that by your spirit you'd
cause them to have revelation, that their eyes would be just open to see the truth of what righteousness means, that they'd be able to live in that this week, that as your followers, they just realize the enemy just has no attack in that area anymore in their life because they know who they are in you. Pray that that affects their jobs, their uh, school, their work, wherever uh, their homes, that they would know who they are in you. Thank you for that. Pray tonight that as we go from this place, we'd be light that shines bright for you, brings your hope and peace and love to every place we go. In your name we pray. Amen.